You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. On today's podcast, there are going to be a lot of our members and listeners who have been eagerly awaiting this particular guest because a couple of years ago, this particular guest became a little bit of a groupie. His presentations at our Think Brick Roadshows were sought after and he came all along the Eastern Seaboard to talk about it. Please join me in welcoming Jared Webb. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> no pressure. I'll never forget one of the presentations was about when you were checking on the watercolour and you wore terracotta pants. <laughs> I want to get that photo so I can put it up on the Instagram it's, if possible. It's a good icebreaker, <laughs> that image. Oh, that was so funny. That was during construction of Cornerstone. That's right. And we did a matchy-matchy watercolour to the terracotta brick. And my pants were like actually the sample. Yeah. It was quite funny. I never lived that down on the site, actually. I think a lot of our members will remember that. Um, But anyway, and for those architects listening, that's a new challenge for them. I'd like to start seeing matchy-matchy. Jared, before we get into talking about Cornerstone and all the projects you've worked on with Brick, you're obviously, as I like to say, a little bit of a Brick lover. Maybe tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up. Well, I was born and bred in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. I like to think I had a very kind of typical Australian urban upbringing. My family grew up down in Bayside in Brisbane, so near the water. Okay. So like Manly. Okay. And my... Sydney listeners. It is, let me tell you, it's not the Sydney Manly. Okay. <laughs> it's the Brisbane Manly. Okay. My dad was a big sailor. He was a competition yeah, yachtsman back in his time. So, And he also worked away a lot. So the condition was he needed to be close to the yacht club and needed to be near the airport. Okay. And so we lived literally enjoying the perks of Bayside living. Close to water. Close to water, out on the yacht, hopping around the islands. It was recreationally. It was amazing. And so my parents were also very avid renovators, like loved to fix up the home and and sell and move on. So Mm -hmm. we spent a lot of our childhood, me and my brother, in construction zones. Flipping? Well, when I say flipping, I mean some would take six to eight years. It was a slow process. My dad would do everything. He was very handy. He actually worked in oil and gas and so was a professional so this um, was a side no, project? This was a side project and oh. he would do the structural renovations, kind of everything. It's quite hilarious looking back at our childhood photos and seeing, you know, just this kind of dilapidated construction site and there's a bath plugged in in the bathroom and there's kind of no finishes. And so, yeah, had a real taste, I guess, of the construction industry from a young age. And who knows whether that was, you know, formative or not. And it but didn't, it didn't put you off. Definitely not. I kind of loved it. But my dad went away for like weeks on end for work. So the everything would kind of stagnate, right? And my poor mum is left raising these two kids in these kind of construction sites, which is quite funny. I mean, we can laugh about it now, but it was great. You're um, thinking now, I just sort of think back sometimes to what your parents lived through. You're thinking, oh, my God, how did they do that? I do not. Yeah, I do not understand. So... What else? I guess me and my brother were very kind of active and very sporty, but I was a big kind of 
big into art, big into kind of graphics, big, mm-hmm. big into those types of subjects. I just remember growing up and kind of getting this obsession with, this is quite funny actually, whenever we had a babysitter as a young age, my mum would always tell the babysitter, do not let Jared build a cubby house. And I would, when they would go out for their, you know, nice date night or whatever, I would literally pull out the entire linen cupboard and just make these kind of monstrosities, these little tailored rooms and sheets and towels and stacking chairs up and, you know, levels with tables. And it would take days for me to come to terms with being satisfied with the outcome of this this cubby house and my mum would just absolutely lose it. Like the entire linen cupboard is empty. I mean, she still brings that up actually. I think it's a bit triggering for her. Yeah. Um, And did the babysitters get invited back because they failed to do the (laughs) one thing she asked? (laughs) Weirdly, yes. But I just remember that one condition every time. And when you talk about art, were you more a drawer or a painter? I was more a drawer. Okay. Yeah, I did dabble in painting, but I wouldn't say I was very successful. I love the intricacies of drawing. I think it's funny when you look back at all your things you created when you were younger. I was like trying to draw technical plans when I was like 10 or 12. Wow. So they were, they were sort of They were out of coloured pencils. Wow. Yeah, but they were another pet hate. I think I drove my parents a little bit insane as I had this crazy obsession with display homes oh wow unlike adrian i think his mother dragged him to all of them <laughs> did he but he would have secretly loved it though yeah right um, but yeah i would my mum would hide the brochures in the letterbox because she knew that as soon as i saw them i would be making them take me there what to go and see you? them like 10 11 wow. like obsessed like love gj gardner wow <laughs> which is pretty funny what do you think he loved about it do you well, think I used seen to a go. House? Maybe <laughs> I didn't think about that actually. I would actually redraw the floor plan after okay. going to see the house, and then provide feedback and say you should move this room here and this room here to the to the people to and the. What did they say to that? I would be like, okay, <laughs> it was weird behaviour. I realised in hindsight, but I was so obsessed. So was it really about space for you? Very much so. Yeah, okay. And later on, my parents built a house and this one got fully completed. Right. But just as a hobby, that's what I would do is right off and see the other houses being built and I would say, Sharon on the street down here is doing this, but she needs to, you know, do this with the house and blah, 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 blah. And yeah, so it was kind of this sick obsession. So I kind of just knew that, that's what I was interested in. Really not a lot of other. No. So, so then, just going back to sort of more probably senior school. When mm-hmm. did you know that architecture was going to be that profession? I had already decided that okay. that's what I was going to do. So it wasn't building, and it wasn't. It wasn't it was building. definitely architecture. Yeah, it was. Okay. It was design orientated. Yeah, but it needed to have a technical capacity. Yeah, and yeah, it wasn't necessarily a builder by no. any means. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm an observer, you could say. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'd already made up my mind. It was quite interesting because you ha- have all these conversations when you're that age mm. in school. Mm. What are you going to do? What subjects are you going to select? What are your pathways? Yeah. You know, those educational buzzwords. And, yeah, it was just like, oh, well, I'm doing – I'm going to be an architect. That's it. So um, I need to do graphics. I need to do maths. I need to do this. And, and the other side of it didn't bother you at all, the maths and all of the – 
that sort of side? Not really. I was definitely challenged at maths, but kind of pushed through. I knew that I had to do it. You had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you finish school and then where do you decide to study? Uh, QT. Okay. Yes. And how was that experience for you? Look, there was different phases, I think, of university. I was was almost a different person throughout each stage. You're kind of going straight from school into university. You're like, I'm so excited to commence my tertiary education. But then also you've got all these distractions in the world. You know, you're a young adult. I was working in a wine shop. So that was, you know, equal parts distracting and medicinal. So what did you, I mean, you're someone that had a very clear idea about what they wanted Mm. to do. When you got to university, did it meet your expectations? It caught me off guard. Right. Which It was so much more than I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. I was just so enthralled. It was the element of the theory, which of course was kind of uncharted territory pre-university so that was just fascinating and that's when you build this love and respect I think for buildings of reverence of historical value Mm -hmm. and you start to I guess have a little bit more of a trained eye and an appreciation for what's in your immediate context yeah and so then you start to analyze it it was very informative any particular designs that really stood out to you in that time I became a big lover of Louis Kahn and he's done some spectacular mm. brick buildings, as we know. One of his buildings is actually under threat at the moment, the Assembly Management Building in Bangladesh. Okay. There's a petition to save it. Oh, wow. Anyway. Yeah, I would definitely say civic buildings strike to me the most. Okay. The way in which they have a presence within a community, how they can bring together all different types of people and kind of perform on this level that isn't a private residence you know Mm. it's a building for multiple types for making memories for kind of having I guess particular interactions of meaningful experiences it's so important isn't it and I I don't know whether it's only struck me because obviously my tendency isn't to buildings I mean it has been lately Mm. but they hold so much significance for bringing people together and not necessarily everyone together at once but no. all these different uses, they're so important to community. I think so. And I think a successful building is a building that performs beyond its intended use. Mm. You know, a building that is very responsive but flexible is a building that kind of withstands time. So, yeah, I think it was definitely the, the kind of civic nature of the buildings and their presence. It was a big shift for me in university. But then mm. I got a job. My tutor asked me to work for him. Okay. And I thought, okay, time to quit the wine shop. (laughs) And that was really fantastic. And that's when my head really got in the game, I think, was when I started working in the industry, drawing upon experience and how, I guess, all these fundamental values you, you learn and you read about and how they can come into play. And do you think, I'm just wondering, because your concentration was so residential before mm. you got to uni like you got yeah, that whole other side of, mm. of civic that the impact you could have yeah buildings maybe well yeah I think that's what was also so fresh for the mind yes you know, yeah I kind of 
yeah, hadn't been exposed to these kind of grand buildings before, you know, in suburban Brisbane. And it, <laughs> so it was just, yeah, it was a feast. That was for sure. And so you started doing work experience now with an architect. Yeah. Yes. So I started working for my tutor mm. and I was working almost in a full-time capacity and studying full-time. Very full on, but it was such a great way to really cut your teeth. Yes. And there's and, no better way than seeing what you're studying and doing it at the same time. And look, the work was pretty uninspiring. It really was more about working on technical capacity and mm-hmm. learning about how to interact with other disciplines and coordinate and all those really crucial elements that go into making a building in the background. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those kind of behaviours and lessons that gave me a really good foundation in that really kind of formative time at university. Mm. So that was fantastic. And then I got a job with Richards and Spence in my master's at the end. That was nine years ago, I think now. And did you travel between? Did a lot of travel. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about that. What was really great is my dad actually moved overseas family kind of separated and dad moved overseas and moved around to quite a few different places, lived in Tokyo for a few years, lived in London for a few years, lived in Jakarta for half a decade. So we're really able on our school holidays to go and experience these cultures over these extended periods where dad would go to work and we would just be like free for all and would go to museums and learn about other cultures and eat and dine and do what teenagers do. And um, is this with your brother? Yeah, with is my brother. He's older? He's a, two years younger, younger than me. So okay. he was not into it at all. I was going to say, he did was you like, share any of these? No. <laughs> he definitely not. It was quite funny, actually. But, yeah, so lots of travel. Tokyo was quite amazing. And just when he was in, even when we were in London, we were able to go and visit Paris and you know the accessibility to everything was insane. It really opens everything up. I mean, as much as we don't want to feel like we're isolated, we kind of are here. Very much so. Mm. Yeah, and you realise this when you're over there. I think. Yes. But I, I think it's also because Australia is so new in comparison, yes. and I think it's what a lot of our existing kind of urban infrastructure and buildings lack, and that is history and this layer of time you know so you go to these old cities and there's remnants of ancient civilizations intertwined with hundreds of years of further buildings on top on top on top and that's just like quite amazing to see those layers Mm. and then you kind of think about our cities and I think about southeast Queensland and I think god there's this culture and got a long way got a long way to go but there's this culture of removing the past here you know and starting again yes and then yeah so I feel like there's a real shift in mindset that needs to occur in in some areas so that we can have these beautiful historic buildings that everyone has a memory of or a fondness of in time we just and it's true we just did a podcast this week on heritage and I think one of the biggest educational things for me was understanding that heritage is keeping things that are not necessarily beautiful. Correct. You know, yeah. But they do mean something. They identify a time and a place or a period. And maybe they are beautiful over time. But, you know, or maybe they're beautiful to different people. Yes. But I do agree with you. I think we lose a lot of that here. Mm. And so you start at Richards and Spence. You're still doing your Masters. Still doing Masters, finishing up my Masters and working with them. And what's one of the first projects you start working on? 
cornerstone stores of yes. all buildings uh, and that was fantastic. That took about four to five years to come to fruition. But yeah, that was a real uh, beautiful project to be part of from a conceptual stage. And then just talk us through some of the sort of, I want to say highlights, but I know that there were a lot of challenges with that building as well. But maybe talk us through some of those because, uh, you know, I remember when we were going through that project, you were making things funnier than they were at the time. But at the same, but what I loved about it, it was so authentic in the sense that we all have mistakes that we want to make look like they were intended. Oh, totally. And I think uh, what I've learned over time is you've got to be a little bit less precious about these things. Otherwise, it will torment you. So you've got to kind of put your inner perfectionist to the side, especially when you're creating buildings that are completely man-made. And that's to the brick skin on the outside. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the pro and con of brickwork is that the pro is that it's a beautiful handmade canvas that goes across a building or a building is made out of it structurally you know and it is laid hand by hand but if that is not treated with care from the beginning and it's the only material you're using then it's going to be an issue which is what we came into on cornerstone but um we did get there and i was right near a surfing beach it was so cornerstone it was a beautiful brief by a family um developer down the chugan they wanted to create a new heart for their community that had a focus on young and small businesses in the area. So all the tenancies were made to be quite small and affordable for young businesses. And it is centered around a communal courtyard and it's outdoor dining and it's dog friendly and it's an anchor tenant and it just pumps yeah. and it's near the beach. So it's when you want shade, you're heading to this brick and concrete monolithic Oasis. structure with a pandanus tree in the courtyard and you're having your oat milk, whatever milk you like, latte. Yep. And so that was a really great, the client from the get-go wanted to create a destination. And so you don't get too many briefs like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really special. So I would say that was a big pro as was working with that client on that project. It's a weird thing when you work with someone for so long and so close, you form such a deep friendship and relationship yeah. with them and one of the things you know i've come to admire a lot of things about architects that i do but it's just some of these projects take absolute years and yeah. you know then when i realized some of them have started from a competition just mm. so many different obstacles along the way tenacity I yes think it's called and outside of well, we've talked about the watercolour and, <laughs> and obviously coming to grips with the fact that humans are involved in, in bricklaying. What sort of were there any other aspects of that that changed your perspective on brick or that surprised you in that first sort of project? I would say beyond its modularity, brick can be quite temperamental as well, which I think is fantastic because it brings extra character to the building, you know, it's that was a dry press brick. So when you say temperamental, what do you mean? I mean temperamental in that there's so many factors outside of one person laying a brick that contributes to making this brick building. Mm. You know, it's it's about the weather, it's about the moisture in the air, it's about humidity, yeah. it's about the, the mixture in the mortar, the wetness of the mortar. Yeah, so all these different factors. And so all you kind of want is this perfect brick wall, but to get there, there's so many small challenges along the way. Mm. And then... You've also got the construction of how's the wall brick being tied back to the wall? Where is it going to meet this concrete lintel at the correct 
coursing height? What increments are we working to to get there? Do we need to creep it? What are our tolerance? So there's all of these factors to create this, what would appear like an effortless brick building. And so I think that makes it all the more worthwhile when you kind of step back with the brickies mm. and kind of go, oh, wow, that looks fantastic. Mm. You know, so there's there's a lot in it. And thank you for going through that because I do, it's one of those things, obviously we represent manufacturers and you see this little brick get on the truck, you know, and there are so many things that can happen to that brick and some are good and some are not great, but it's one of the very few building materials that can undergo this significant change depending on how it's designed and how it's laid. Very much so, mm. yeah. Well, I think that just goes to show that brick is actually an incredibly diverse product and flexible. It can lay on a path, it can be in a wall, it can form a vault, it can be structural. It's like endless possibilities. So just segueing now into Fish Lane, which oh, yeah. is we really brickified that entire area. Yeah, so this was another Richard Spence project yes. and that was all about the brick for sure. But that was a direct response to the context of Fish Lane. Mm. There's a lot of history on Fish Lane and a lot of red brick on the laneway. So there's just a lot of, I mean, obviously I've been there, but talk to us a little bit about the context of the... Uh, so Fish Lane was actually a project across three different allotments mm-hmm. um, and the primary allotment is actually underneath the Queensland rail track mm-hmm. and so that had a plethora of constraints um, that came with that but the client also had the two adjacent buildings. So out of that the dream was to make I guess the Queensland version of a town square where shade is already provided which is a hot commodity up here. Absolutely. Um, and celebrating the fact that we have all the shade and creating a beautiful planted courtyard and then using our peripheral buildings to activate that space through various uses being bars, nightlife, lunch, Mm. gallery, whatnot. So that project's in a fantastic location in that it's on this cusp between the cultural precinct of Brisbane and it kind of moves into high residential Mm. in South Brisbane. So the idea is that it is a backyard for those people that live high in the sky with a small balcony. It became a green space that can be utilised by them and it had to be a parkland that felt welcoming to all. So and how long did that take? That was about four years. Yeah, that was a long one. <laughs> and was there anything, I mean, during that time you also worked on sort of Jane Street and all of the area that we're currently in. Did your perspective on working with brick change along the way outside of taking that little bit of a step back? Brick is definitely at the forefront of a lot of Rich and Spence buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's all the things I've spoken about as to why they love to use brick. But I think that it's a nostalgic material in that people identify and can connect with it very quickly. It's, mm. you know, a material that can be applied to a bank, a post office, a house, all various types of programs. And it works. Yeah. You know, it's and not many materials can kind of transcend all of those different uses and still feel civic and welcoming. And What have you noticed? Because you've been involved in what we do now for a long time, you mm. know, nearly as long as I've been involved. What have you noticed has changed, if anything, about brick in design? I think that, you know, 10 years ago, 
when you did a brick building, people would say, oh, why brick? <laughs> why aren't you just rendering it? Are you going to render that? Mm-hmm. And there's some hurdles too that we've come through in that on many sites was getting the bricklayer of the trade to deliver a finished product and like it's not going to be rendered this is yes yeah whereas now i think that there's this respect that people have for the product and they've all kind of accepted brick in a different way Mm. um and so you're starting to see a lot of brick buildings appear so i feel like it's jumped up a few rungs in terms of its popularity Mm. and i think the other thing with brick is it's got a sense of permanence about it. Like if you see a brick building being built, you're like, oh, that's going to be around for a long time. Mm, yeah. It's so a it's, real sense of presence. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I think that that's the other thing that goes hand in hand, like architecture in general is a permanent thing. It should be permanent. We shouldn't be erasing them every 10, 15 years, 20 years. So when you create a brick or a block building, it's like this building's here to stay. Let's make it intentful. Yes. I love that. Jared, talk to us about what you're doing now. So I've just started my own practice, JR Office. Yes. Yes, thank you. Bittersweet, but really enjoying it. Mm. I've got lots of exciting projects in the commercial kind of realm, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Working on the new Cornerstone stores down on the Gold Coast. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of a different direction. It takes that same model of community, but is applying it to more of a light industrial type aspect so that's really fantastic that's keeping me busy and I just want to go back to your love of residential and do you I mean I feel like we've left that back back in your youth but is there a desire to to re-tap into that you know when I started I thought I'm going to just try a little bit of everything yeah and just go this is really great really enjoying I am actually doing a house it's under construction at the moment and I have really enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and so that's been that's been also challenging because it's definitely a lot more emotional driven and you have this deeper connection with your client and I'm really wanting to ensure that they're happy with these spaces we're kind of creating together Mm. you know so it's very it's a different dynamic I would imagine very very much so but I I have really enjoyed it it's been eye-opening you can say that oh I can't wait to see what it becomes and Jared, when you look at, and you've mentioned it a little bit about not erasing everything, but given everything that's happening in the world at the moment, particularly with the climate, where do you see the role that architecture plays in building and, and society? I think from a sustainability perspective, I like to think of it in kind of three different phases of a building, mm-hmm. I guess. It's how can we build buildings that have a smaller carbon footprint mm-hmm. or ideally none? Yep. So trying to address it in the early stages of construction. Then there is also how can a building run efficiently? Passive cooling, dealing with humidity up here. Mm-hmm. How can our buildings be comfortable without putting on an air conditioner or heating? Mm-hmm. And then there is the other factor of what is the longevity of a building once it's in place and once it's functioning how long is that building going to be around for and what can be done throughout the design period of that building in the early stages for it to be active in future years so how can it be flexible mm. what can this building be if it isn't going to be this if at a later stage exactly yeah. so looking yeah. at how it is how its program can change and i think that's also really important so i try to look at it with accumulation of those factors as to how we can affect 
yeah, the, the future built environment. And do you think architects have that voice? Yeah, very much so. Mm. Very much so. I think they should have it. I think. I just wonder whether sometimes it gets drowned out a bit. I think it does get drowned out in certain circumstances. It really depends on your audience too. Mm. It really is driven by the client and their initiative with their building and what they're willing to spend yep. as well. As I mean, the big elephant in the room is always cost. And so a lot of the conversations are if we spend this much money up front, we're going to save this much money running the building down the track. Yes. So it is about these conversations and about being a little bit more tactical with spend. Actually, we do get that a lot with architects that do a lot of sort of like government work. They say, well, brick's great because it doesn't require maintenance and things like That's that. That's a big and, one. Yeah. And that is a big sell for mm. sure. I'm always using that one. Okay. You're not going to have to paint it. We yeah. seal it once and it's done. Yeah. And you know, the patina of age and you put a vine on it and here you go. And so, yeah, that's a big one. And also obviously just the obvious being the thermal performance of a brick. It's always a, a good one too. And just thinking back now to when you first went to university and, and graduated, you mentioned how important work experience was. Mm. What would be your advice to young architects coming through now? Ooh. My advice, well, beyond just jumping the and getting into working in the yes. industry, yeah. I would say don't put too much pressure on trying to be good at everything. There's so many facets to the architecture industry. And you look at all the different roles an architect can play. You know, you've got your contract admin, documenter, design architect, all, yeah. all these different roles. It's like you don't have to be the best at all of them. Just lean into what you're good at and then nice. work, with, work with people who fill your gaps. That's great advice. Mm. Now, favourite, we've talked about favourite architect or influential architects, but is there a favourite brick building out of the ones you've been involved with the design? Oh, involved with? No, not, not, not involved with. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I would say the old faithful being the Panthenon in Rome. Oh. Very blessed to see many times. And I'm just in awe every time. It's the scale. It's mm. the roughness. You know, it's the mass. It's not even that it's Roman brick, so it's it's messy. But it's still but amazing it's that it's still amazing. standing. Exactly. That's what you kind of aspire to try and achieve, right? Mm. And out of everything that you've worked on today, is there a particular project that you have a fondness for? Or? Cornerstone stores, I think, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it was a sentimental project. And that was just because of the team as well, mm. you know. So, yeah, that and it's lovely that you're getting to revisit that in a different way now. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we laugh and we cry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Jared, thank you for all of that. We're going to go into these quick fire round questions now. All answers are acceptable. Mm-hmm. Reading the news, a newspaper or online? Online. Handwriting or typing? Typing. For sketching ideas and concepts, would you use a pencil, pen or an e-pen? Ooh, whatever's close, but probably a pen. Okay. Most common. Specific pen? Felt tip, yeah. Yep. And usually it's green. Oh. I don't know why. That's interesting. (laughs) Do you like to read books or listen to audiobooks? Books. What's important to you, style or substance? Mm, I feel like they need to go hand in hand. But style, I feel like most stylish things have already so well thought about and that there's already so much substance behind it. Love it. Coffee or tea? Coffee. TV shows or movies? TV shows. Little binge. 
<laughs> Antique or brand new? Combination. Call or text? Text. <laughs> Travel back in time or into the future? Into the future, but need to go back first and learn a few things and then travel forward. Wow, mm. that's a great answer. Exterior or interior? I mean, both go hand in hand, but I'm going to say exterior because it is through the exterior that we can sculpt and inform the interior. Video games or board games? Neither. Form or function? I'm going to say form. Complex or simple with relation to design? Simple all the way. Jared, for those of our listeners that are listening, how can everyone find you and see what you're up to? You can get along onto my Instagram, mm-hmm. j.r.office and also jroffice.com. Beautiful. And we're going to put all of those in the show notes. And Jared, a personal thanks for everything you've done to illuminate and embellish the brick industry and not only in your design but also how you articulate it and how you've been so generous with me and the members for showcasing it. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know.